what's happening, all you intelligent and very good-looking people out there. Welcome to another spiritually transcendent episode of Jazztopia. I'm your host, Bobby Spellman, coming at you from sunny, scenic Brooklyn, New York, as we spiral through space at a thousand miles an hour, reeling towards the future, the unknown, the great unknown. Uh, but while life can sometimes be uncertain, we know that we'll always have the music to keep us grounded and sane. So thanks for joining me once again. we got a great show for you today. I wanted to go over a couple things. A couple records are coming out. I want to give a shout-out to Andy Gutowskis, whose new album, Look Out, is coming out on Outside In Records on October 31st. And you can pre-order that at Andy's website at www.andrewgutowskis.com. I haven't got a chance to listen to it yet, but uh, Andy's a great baritone saxophonist, and I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Check it out. Uh, another one came out earlier this month. I wanted to give a little uh, little shout-out to Kyle Solnier and the Awakening Orchestra. And they've got a record out called Volume 2, To Call Her to a Higher Plane. I got the opportunity to work with Kyle in Mappa Elliott's band a little while back, and he's a great player. And uh, I'm excited to check this out. I unfortunately haven't gotten a check- chance to check that out either, but I will be sure to give it a listen. That came out on Biophilia Records. Once again, that's The Awakening Orchestra, Volume 2, To Call Her to a Higher Plane. And while we're all stuck indoors for the next little while, and the days get shorter and the nights get longer, you want to remember that there's still people making music out there. Uh, You can check out Shapeshifter Lab's website, uh, the Smalls website, and their Facebook page as well, and the Soapbox Gallery, among others, for upcoming uh, live streams from New York City. And I'm sure that there's a lot of other things going on there. If you've got a performance that's happening and you want me to give you a little shout-out on the program, spread the word, be sure to send me an email. Find me on Facebook at Bobby Spellman Music or on, on Instagram at, at Bob Spellman. And uh, be sure to check it out. I am hoping that... Everybody's going out to check out whatever music there is right now, whether it's outdoors, in a uh, socially distant environment, or in live streams, or the various videos and recordings that people are putting out. As per usual, life has given us some adversity, and the artists are able to overcome and invent and create in unusual times. So be sure to support them when you can, you know, send them your money. And uh, more than that, let's um, really take take note and absorb the art that's coming out now. Really try to appreciate the uh, all the work that people are doing because it's really great. All right. Well, today on the program, I am pleased to introduce vocalist Allegra Levy. Allegra is a jazz vocalist and songwriter based here in New York City. Uh, she's released four records on Steeplechase, including her most recent release. Lose My Number, Allegra Levy Sings John McNeil. In 2019, Allegra won Best Original Song in the International Independent Film Awards for her song Man on the Moon from the short film Astronaut Hour. Uh, She also won first place in this year's Great American Song Contest's Adult Contemporary category for her song Waste My Time and recently won the John Lennon Songwriting Competition's Stuck at Home edition for her children's song, Wash My Hands. Allegra and I got to discuss her recent release, Lose My Number, 
as well as the process of writing lyrics, collaborating with trumpeter John McNeil, and her work with various organizations, including the Women in Jazz Organization, the International Society for the Performing Arts, and ECPAT USA. Uh, be sure to check out Allegra's recent release, Lose My Number, on all the platforms. And uh, it was great to have her on the show, and I know you're going to have a ton of fun. So without further ado, here she is, Allegra Levy. Congratulations on the new album. Thank on you. On Lose My Number on Steeplechase Records. Uh, what was the release date? When did it come out? Uh, it came out on August 15th, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we celebrated the release uh, on September fifteenth with the live show. Mm-hmm. Did you have um, Did you have a show? Did you have a, a series of shows planned beforehand and had to switch it over to the live stream format, or have you had? I guess you've had time to plan out the uh, the pandemic release. Yeah, I mean, we recorded this album um, actually a year ago this week. It was actually a couple of days ago. Um, it was October 11th, I believe, uh, 2019, and um, boy, was it different back then. Sure was. <laughs> so <laughs> I did have plans in my head of what I wanted the release to be, and then as time went on, I just discovered that it was going to be a bit different. Sure, no doubt. But it was a great live stream. I was happy to get to catch it, uh, and it was at the... Um the where was it? Where was it broadcast from? The live stream was broadcast from the Soapbox Gallery in mm-hmm. Brooklyn. And they've been doing live streams for a little while now. They've been um, putting on shows, right? Yeah, it had just started to really get going, and I noticed that they were doing such a special thing that they had transformed their space, which I'd been to before live, um, into basically a, a video studio. Um, and they have their their grand piano there, which is beautiful. And the space itself is a converted art gallery, so it's so it's such a good place to make music as it is. Um, and I'd always wanted to play there anyway. I hadn't gotten the chance to before everything shut down. Um, so I was really excited uh, that uh, Jimmy Greenfield gave me the opportunity to bring the band there, and it was crazy to see my bandmates again. Oh, <laughs> it was sure. like. We were long lost souls connecting. <laughs> um, it was hard not to hug everyone for sure. Oh man, sure. Now we'll get into the nitty gritty of the record here, but um, how was it? What was the experience like doing the live stream as opposed to a live concert? Because I know you're well versed in playing live shows, but did you did you find it was easy to get into that mindset, or did you struggle with it, or what was the what was the vibe on your end? Well, I was really anxious. Um, leading up to the, to the event, I have to say, I mean, even the day of, I was thinking, God, what is this going to be like? Is it going to be a total nightmare or is it going to be like I remember performing? Cause it had been so long. Um, mm-hmm. and the second that we started playing together in that room, it was like this electric shock went through my entire body and I just felt completely enveloped in the music and yes it was different not having um faces in the audience and not having feeling that pulse and energy that you get when you are performing um from the audience but i still felt like there was an energy on the other side i I knew people were there 
And that was enough to really um, get the adrenaline going in the same way that it used to be. Um, and I think just playing with people in the same room again <laughs> was so exciting that that really played into it. Um, however, I don't know if the audience really, you know, it's hard to know if the audience really got the same experience. And I, I doubt they did. I'm, I'm sure, you know, I've been watching these live streams and it's really easy to get distracted, even if something is really keeping your attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's certainly a different thing to be looking at something from your computer screen than it is to be in the room in real life. But I think, you know, you can get into that mindset a little bit. I think that people just forget that this is still a performance. Like there's still a way of getting into that, you know, like dude, when we when we watch live streams over here, we always try to make it an ordeal. We try to make it a thing. We'll make some cocktails and sit around and, you know, like it's movie night or something and check it out. But that's yeah, fun. I, That's really fun. I, I know a couple of people did do that. Like, I, I guess my one of my mom's friends said that she, you know, got all dressed up like she was going to a jazz club and tried to really get herself in the mood, so to speak, um, which I think it does help. And there are so many really interesting ways that people could work to reconnect. But there is something so different about live performance. And it's like I almost forgot for sure. a moment, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, yeah. I think. It was like, oh, what are we really missing here? You know, it's been so long. What are we really missing? And then I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's what right. it is. Yeah. But it, it was a great experience. It really is the next best thing, I think. Although I have had a lot of thoughts about what a real virtual performance should be. Like, should it just be a live performance broadcast or should it be something entirely different, an entirely new medium? In, mm. in many ways, it has become something entirely different. Um, sure. And some people have done that. Um, in my case, that was not what we did. We just did a live performance broadcast. But I have thought about what we could do to engage the audience a little more. Um, and I tried to include some fun facts about each song and, you know, try to connect the way I usually would um, with disparaging remarks about myself. <laughs> um, and things like that. Well, give me an example. Like, what might be something we could do without giving away your any of your secrets and losing your future fortune on your approach to uh, live streams? Like, how might is there? A, can you think of a way that we would like engage the audience in a different way while we're while we're still in quarantine? Hopefully, for not too much longer. Oh gosh, um, yeah. I don't want to give away all my secrets. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> No, I mean, I guess I'm just thinking about how we can really incorporate people. So, I mean, there's always this without, you know, getting too much into technology. It's like, and having the idea of, of um, you know, I don't know, weird space shows that you could think about with mm. meeting me up, Scotty and all. Sure, yeah, yeah. Virtual reality. Um, <laughs> virtual, virtual reality. reality. Jazz performances. Sure. Virtual, I mean, that's really, that would be ideal. But I think in some ways, you know, just getting more involved in the chat, like maybe not having, um, maybe having a live show that's not totally planned out uh, and ha somehow incorporating the audience in a more musical way. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll just leave it to your imagination. Sure, I think that's that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully we can get back to normal before too long and we won't have to worry too much about it. But I will say for all of the negatives of all this, and I think we can find enough of them, uh, It this, I think having been separated from live performance, either whether we're the performers or the audience is, um, I'm sure that it is, let's say, 
rekindled our appreciation for what it was that we were doing in the first place. Because I'm sure that, um, like like me, you've been performing for decades. I mean, it's just a standard operating procedure. It's every day, every couple of days, a couple times a week, whatever, we're out there playing for people in different contexts. And it's so easy to, you know, oh, this gig was fun. This is not as much fun for whatever reason. You get caught up in the nitty gritty of it. But you just forget when that's such a part of your day-to-day life, what a electric experience that is just to create music. It's almost like sorcery. It's like magic or whatever. And so to get back to that is a big deal. Hopefully we we have a, a, a newfound appreciation for what that is when we get back to it. I think I totally agree. I think there is kind of, there is that magic that um, we will go back to appreciate because we've all complained about that shitty gig and whatever happened on that gig that really wasn't cool. Um, but something that is the most important, I think, is for audiences to remember their appreciation for that. Um, mm-hmm. And hopefully they will. I mean, I think that's the key right now is is how can we remind audiences of what they're missing so that when we go back, it is really a, a different experience. Because I think one conversation that we've all been having a little bit is that we don't want to go back to the same way that things were. and And I think that's a really weird idea to grapple with but i think Mm. especially within the performing arts industry as a whole um we could have all uh been taken care of a little better and we could all take care of ourselves uh each other a little more Mm, and so i I think um i would like to see that when we come back that there are some real changes Mm, okay yeah use it as kind of a clean slate Mm, i'm gonna think about that i'm gonna think about that going forward All right, Lose My Number, the music of John McNeil with lyrics by Allegra Levy. Uh, Now, this is the fourth record you put out on uh, Steeplechase, and it is a departure from the the first three in that now you've taken the the very fascinating music of uh, the amazing trumpeter, composer John McNeil and written lyrics to it. What was the inspiration for this record? Um, I, I would say it definitely is a departure from the other material, but I have sprinkled little bits of this project kind of throughout because it was something that I always wanted to do. Mm Um, it was kind of like this Holy grail challenge that I was (laughs) looking forward to. Um, the second that I heard John's music, um, I loved it. And I used to go and watch his band and, and just hear everything that he was doing and, and be like, man, I wish, wish there was a, a spot for, for a, a singer in this. I think some of these stories are being told so beautifully musically, but I feel like there's, there's um, some lyrics here, you know, and there would be melodies that would get into my head. And I would just think like, there's gotta be a lyric for this. Um, and it's not something that I usually would always do. I don't think all music should have lyrics by any means. And there were many of his songs. I mean, I went through his whole, I went through so many of his albums. um, And I have to say that there were some that just, I was like, no, this is not, this is not going to work. It should just leave, let, like, let it lie by it, (laughs) by itself. Sure, sure. It's perfect the way it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But there were, there were those, uh, those few and and actually a couple more than what I recorded that I thought, wow, 
this could be such an interesting process to to write lyrics to it. And um, I started by writing lyrics to Live in Small when I was, oof, I don't even want to put it an age, but it was back then. Okay. <laughs> and um, I actually tweaked them a bit um, now looking back. Um, but once I did that, I then um, I had written lyrics to another one of his tunes for, for Cities Between Us, which was my second album on Steeplechase. And, um, what, what tune did you do on, on, uh, did you put did you record it for that? Yeah, that one was called Down Sunday. Um, okay. And, so this uh, has been an ongoing project for quite a while. Well, it has, but I'd never undertaken the whole, <laughs> the whole thing. I, I'd never, um, attempted to like write a whole album's worth of it. And, and I had, I had the idea for a while. Yes. And I was trying to, you know, I kept saying like, John, Hey, we should do this. Hey, Hey man, we should do this. And, um, he was definitely into it, but I think, uh, it definitely was a collaboration and, and it's hard, you know, I mean, it's hard to write some, I know when I write music, it's hard to, um, change anything <laughs> about it. Uh, sure. so in, in many ways we kind of created new entities. Okay. How, so did you, did you work closely with John on, on kind of what this, what each of these tunes was going to become in some respect? In some respect. I mean, he was really, he was really, um, gracious and really like easy to work with on this particular project. There were some moments where I would get really attached to some lines and he'd be like, no man, you got to throw that out. And I was like, <laughs> He's but it also sounds good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also not one to uh let's say he's an honest guy. Like he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would let you get get away with something if he thought it was, you know. Oh, for sure. As I say, he's kind of a lose my number kind of guy. And um <laughs> and I I mean, I I mean, I think I'm I'm pretty friendly, but sometimes, you know, I feel the same way. We all we've all been there. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have time to to deal with with fools. Um, sure. yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. you know, he's, he's, yeah, he's honest, he's blunt. And in many ways I've grown the most from, from working with him because he has just given it to me straight. Mm -hmm. And, sure. um, I think that's a really important thing to have in a collaborator, uh, someone who's not afraid to tell you when you're really being an idiot. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> and also someone who's not afraid to tell you. And then it means more when they say like, oh, this really works. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, that's the, that's the value of the honesty in that in that regard. Um, now, did this start? Did you know his music before? You went to NEC back in whenever. 2007 to 2011 undergraduate okay. class. <laughs> there you go. Um, so did you know his music before that or did you meet him at NEC? And that's where all this began. I probably, um, I heard about him my senior year of high school for sure. Um, but I did not, I definitely became uh, enchanted by him in school. Um, and he was, uh, he was such an inspiration. And he was also one of the few teachers who really um, kind of took me aside and, and helped me to really understand what working meant and what, what some of this stuff meant and challenged me in a way that I think many women students felt like they weren't being challenged. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, he treated me like an equal uh, to everybody <laughs> and uh, not any, um, 
not just a singer or whatever people sometimes say, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And um, I really respected that. And then when I when I moved to New York and um, started uh, going to the the famed T Lounge Jam session that he mm-hmm. and Mc, he he and um, Mike Fay ran, um, I I continued to push myself and and try to gain his respect and um, yeah. That's how it all started. Sure. That's great. So now when you go, the lyrics are a world that are beyond my scope. And I will say I was um, I was particularly impressed with the lyrics on this. I thought that you just wrote amazing lyrics to all these tunes, and they all fit great. And it's a dangerous game in my mind because I've heard a lot of jazz tunes where they started off as instrumental tunes that were fine, and then people write these corny lyrics to them, and it ruins the whole operation. So there's got to be a, a little bit of pressure on that to keep the sort of integrity of the music and still be able to bring something new to it. And I'm wondering if, so a lot of these, they already had titles to begin with. Do you then, did you talk to John about what does this song mean in the first place? Or did you sort of play around with the titles and the melodies and try to come up with, with something that would work? Or how, what's, the, what's the process involved in, in something where you're taking melodies that already exist and sometimes sort of unwieldy melodies in some respects and turn them into lyrics? Um, that's a, it's a great question. And I'm glad that you, you liked them because I have to say that, um, there are a lot of bad lyrics out there (laughs) (laughs) and, um, everyone these days consider themselves a lyricist and a composer and, um, I do definitely think that you have to really work at it. And I, I'm glad that you liked it. Cause I, you know, there are some, uh, yeah, there are some lyrics that really just kill the whole vibe. Um, when it comes to, to writing, I usually write melodies and lyrics kind of simultaneously, like ideas for songs kind of come to me in one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so this was particularly difficult um, for me. And it was definitely uh, almost like acquiring a new skill set in, in many ways. I mean, I had written lyrics to other songs before, but, but, um, definitely not a full record's worth and definitely not, I, I you know, n- definitely not trying to, um, really get the meaning of the tune in succession. So it's, it's different when you have nine tunes, right. Than it, than when you have one, um, what I what I did and how I approached it is I, I did approach each song individually and I did keep all of the I kept all of the titles that John had left um, and some of the songs I interviewed him so some of, sometimes I actually did sit down with him and say like hey man what was this song really about what were you thinking what were you feeling um, and he would tell some incredibly detailed unbelievable story um, <laughs> about the song. And, and then I would record it and I'd take it back and I, I would just kind of sit there <laughs> kind of, what am I going to do with this? Um, and, and no, it, it was really inspiring. And then there were some melodies that, that did speak to me immediately. Like I could just, I just knew, um, what it should be. Um, and it felt a little more like the process that I have when I'm writing, which is that the lyrics just came with the melody, um, but either way, I, I had to learn all the melodies really well. Like I, I just had to be able to sing them inside out before I could even approach the lyrics. Okay. Um, but I do think 
you know, there were, there were a couple of times when I did make, you know, make it my own and, and kind of tell my own story through his melody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were a couple of in there where I tried to tell his story. And um, there were some moments where I was like, why don't we change this title to be this as a joke? And like uh, on Dover Beach, I I wrote, um, it's actually, you know, supposed to be this very moving um, tune. And I was always moved by it when I heard him play it live. Um, and I wrote it about my grandmother and about my grandmother's last words. Um, but it's it's based off this poem um, that's historic by called Dover Beach. And I was like, well, why don't we just call it Bunny's Beach? Because <laughs> my grandma's named Grandma Bunny. Mm. and um, Or was named Grandma Bunny. And he was like, no. He <laughs> 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 was like, fair game. Uh, you were right. Uh, um, so, you know, not all ideas were, were good, but, um, and I definitely battled over each w- word, each syllable, um, for sure with myself, just making sure that everything sounds correct. You know, I mean, it has to sound right. You know, there are those lyrics when you hear them and you're like, Ooh, that yeah. does not fit there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. We go, if you looked at it on the paper, you would see, okay, that makes sense. But yeah, within the context of the music, did you write a, a number of these and then throw some of them out? Or were you just super particular about everything that you did and all of them made the record? Um, yes. <laughs> no, I did throw some of them out. Um, I think there were about a few that didn't, they, they didn't work. Um, and there's one song um, that is off of um, one of his later works um that i is still kind of haunting me where i'm thinking like i i really need to write these i'm not going to say what the song is because i might actually do it someday sure yeah but i I started writing the lyrics to it and i just i couldn't get it i could not get it and i love it it's such a great tune but i um it didn't click then but i think it will eventually Hmm. um but yeah there were a couple that that didn't quite work all right, let me rewind a minute. Can you can you think back to any of the stories that you just have to paraphrase them if you can remember them? But any of the stories that McNeil told about any of the songs in particular that stuck with you and became the content of the music? Um, the the most poignant one was, and I, I have talked about this before, but it was uh, called Tiffany, mm-hmm. um, and he was talking about getting off a gig like really early in the morning and walking down Fifth Avenue and walking by Tiffany's and thinking about his girlfriend, now wife, um, Lolly, and who's, who is like one of the most amazing, uh, women and she's killing trombone player as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, Lolly Bienenfeld. And, um, yeah, he was thinking about like, man, I should get her something shiny from this place. But, but, you know, jazz musicians and Tiffany's usually don't go together. Mm-hmm. And, um, I guess I kind of, the way he told it was much more eloquent than what I just said, but um, the way he told it was so touching to me. And it was just really clear that, you know, he felt like he wished he could have bought something for her birthday and and it was her birthday, I I think, Mm -hmm. and um, something shiny and fabulous for her. But it's always been clear to me that they have like such a special relationship and wouldn't need any of that shit you know and um so that essence really came out in his telling of the story and 
I kind of took that and turned it into, you know, that story of longing, you know, the feeling of longing and, and desire, um, and something just out of reach, but also that kind of romance, um, of two people really being everything and their whole world for each other. Hmm. Oh, that's great. Uh, can you think of any others that, that he had particular tales for, or was it a lot of the the titles and try to figure them out? Well, <laughs> there's a couple, I mean, it's really funny because Samba de Beach, I didn't realize was um, son of a bitch. <laughs> ah, yes, that sounds right. That sounds uh, part of the course. I, and I and um, that one actually came really at the last minute. I think I wrote it like that was the last one, and it almost didn't even come together. And we we ran it for we ran it once at the actual session before recording it. It was like. We that one was that's, like that's amazing, and and it was a really last minute one, but it's actually turned into one of my favorites. Um, it's a great intro to the album; like it kicks off strong. It's a great tune. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it it is a cool tune, and um, it's a it's a really cool tune that he wrote. It's tricky, and I was just thinking that it was actually like a, a beach samba. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, <laughs> John was like, no, <laughs> that's not it. That sounds about um, right. So I ended up writing this kind of rant uh, about what it was like feeling down about being a musician in New York, um, which is what I was feeling at the time. Um, And it turned into being a little bit more appropriate as we started going into this lockdown. Um, Another one was, and I'm going to get this wrong, but I think he was talking about how CJ, um, which is just like super cool bluesy vibes um cj i think was just about somebody he spoke to at a bar or something and mm. but i just immediately was like nope this is this is definitely about donald trump uh-huh. and um <laughs> i think in my live show i was i was more delicate about it i said a certain politician who you know it has inspired this next song um, and yeah, I'm, I'm not going to mince words here. Um, that song is about Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Sure. Now, another thing I think that you did really well with this whole thing is you have such a wide range of, um, let's say emotions throughout the whole thing, but some of those tunes, the ballads are very heartfelt. Tiffany is very heartfelt. Um, uh, Zephyr, a lot of the more, the, the beautiful tunes, like you, you're bringing this kind of depth of emotion to it, but there's also a side to McNeil's music, which is which is reflective of his own personality, which is hilarious. I mean, the whole thing is that kind of wry, wild sense of humor or whatever. So it's funny to hear about the the Samba de Beach thing <laughs> because it would be like, I remember, um, I mean, he's got a lot of these things. So um, for, so for everybody listening, is, is I studied with him at NEC as well, and I've known his music for a long time. I heard it in, in uh, high school. I used to go to a record shop in my hometown, and I was checking out, in, at one time I was checking out um, Chet Baker and Jerry Mulligan, his quartet. And the guy who owned the record shop says, yeah, 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 okay. He used to do this all the time where I'd come in and try to buy some like classic record. He'd be like, yeah, cool. Okay, but if you're going to check that out, you also got to get this other thing, you know, whatever it would happen to be. And in this case, it was um, McNeil's uh, East Coast Cool. And the first thing that struck me about that album without knowing who John McNeil was, it's an amazing record. It's one of my favorite albums. And was how funny the music was without having to be funny. It wasn't overtly, it wasn't Frank Zappa overtly funny, but his sense of humor is in the music itself. And it's it, that taught me a lot when I was a kid because I was like, man, 
you think about music as being like, okay, it's happy or it's sad or whatever. Like, but there was a moment where I'm like, this is such a wide possible palette of emotions and all this stuff. Um, but another another McNeilism is it, it, the classic thing at every New York jam session is, oh, you sound great, man. And he would twist that if he thought that the guy didn't sound any good, but he wanted to make the point, you know, wanted to just say something. He'd go, oh, you sound great. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's all these little twisted things. You go, wait a minute, what did he say? What is this? But I'm glad that you got to catch some of that. And, you know, I feel like some of the lyrics, in particular, Lose My Number, a lot of them had that kind of a, a, a humor to it. Yeah, I mean... Look, John is one of the funniest people I have ever met. And I used to say you should do stand-up. Like, I mean, there's nobody who can do um, a rant like he can. Uh, and I'm always laughing when I'm around him. Um, and I really i am glad that it came through to you because i he does have so much fun. And he, some of his stuff is just silly. I mean, it's just like, it, and it's, te- it's almost teasing you. Like the melodies he, that he's coming up with... Um, the challenge is is definitely like, ha, 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 can you do this? I don't know. Um, and I wanted that to come through in the lyrics. But, you know, I think like all of us, you know, we've all had uh, struggles in life. And and he is a sensitive guy, too, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. And so I did really want to and, and I did really want to encapsulate him in in entirety from the jolly, silly hilarity, um, sarcasm the wry wit to, you know, to the more um, sincere moments, which you hear in his music. And I think that's part of it, what, mm-hmm. what attracted to me to the music. Um, because, you know, I think it really becomes this metaphor for everything. And, and you always want music to be um, reflecting what you're going through in every, any day, you know, right? And, sure. and so I think this, you know, hopefully this record does this, but hope, you know, John definitely does that. He, you know, you can have, you can be sobbing in one second. I'm sure you're laughing hysterically. So, um, yeah. Sure. Now, uh, he also made a couple of cameos on the record, which is great. It sounds great as always. Uh, you know, it's, it's cool to have him suddenly come out on his own music. How was that? Um, what was his maybe response or how was it to work with him in that kind of a setting? Like, did he have a, did he have a, like a, a, how much of a role did he have in the actual recording process or did he just show up to play the parts? Um, so my very first record, John was the, the producer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, man, him as a producer, he has such incredible ears. Um, but it was definitely always rough. Like, you know, I remember one day I thought I had, sung something decently and he called me up he says you've got to go back to the studio and redo this this sounds like you forgot how to sing like (laughs) and i was like okay uh thanks cool um cool 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 so i went back and redid it and that was my first record you know it was a huge learning experience that was like going to grad school altogether Mm -hmm. um what was the name of that record that was Lonely City. Okay. Um, but him as a producer, and he also arranged some of the, the tunes, um, but he didn't play on it, you know, because he wanted to have this outside view. And I really wanted him to be on this one and to make the cameos um, because it, it's just, it was a different role that he was playing, you know, and he did, he was at the recording session the day that we recorded um, and he did put in his input, but he, it wasn't the same uh, our relationship has, you know, changed from that time when he was a producer to now when I felt like it was really just a collaboration. We were mm-hmm. doing this kind of t- 
together and it was an honor to have him play. I mean, I have always wanted to have him play, um, you know, either the arrangements of my tunes or, you know, in this case, I, it was so fantastic to have him really show up and do it. He, he definitely did not, um, he definitely let me kind of take the reins on this one though. I, w- I would have to say that. And, and he did show up like as, one of the guys, you know, he was, mm-hmm. he was, or I should say one of the people because he was the only guy, but, um, <laughs> you know, and it was also important to me that the band, um, was kind of these fresh young, uh, women voices. And then John kind of comes in and out. I, I, it's, uh, definitely changes the, the tune and the tone. Mm-hmm. Sure. So now, Let's go over um, who's in the band. Um, oh, it's such a great band. <laughs> it's a great band. They sound great. Um, no, I love these people so much. They're just, and it's funny because we had never played together as a band before this record. So, oh wow. Um, now I'm like, I don't know if I can ever uh, make a change with this situation because it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but Carmen stuff and I have, uh, Carmen's been on every one of my records. Um, I actually met her through John, actually. I think John introduced us at a, at a session, um, way back when I first moved to New York. And, um, he was like, I think that you're really going to like this Carmen. And I was like, Oh yeah. She's like my, my soul <laughs> staring back at me. <laughs> like I was just oh, like, wow. I, I was just totally, um, in love with her playing and, and, and she's just such a, such an incredible human. Um, so she's been such an important voice musically, um, in my career. And I, I have to give her credit for that. Um, and then Colleen Clark, um, and um, Carmen Rothwell, so Colleen Clark on drums and, and Carmen Rothwell on bass, um, really became the perfect uh, other parts to that puzzle, and and they they just really played their their butts off, and it was um, a pleasure. You know that session was a pleasure. The rehe- we only had I think one rehearsal really before the the session, oh, wow. and. Um, yeah, it was tight. It was, it was tight timing. I, I took a little longer on the lyrics than I would have hoped. Um, and, and, uh, so anyway, they were, they were incredible, um, collaborators and really brought their own voice to the project. And, um, I hope that I get to do more of them. Mm. So did you book the recording session before you had the songs finished? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> So the thing about steeplechase is that um, Nils Winter like really likes to to get you producing as much as he can, and mm-hmm. um, I've been really thankful and lucky for that opportunity to work with steeplechase. But it, there have been times where I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to get this done in time. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely, you know, to turn out um, projects so quickly is definitely a lot of work. Um, and in this case, I was I was definitely trying to be a perfectionist about it, um, and and um, yeah, I think there were still some words that I was um, wrestling with the night before the session. Oh wow! <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean, you put out a lot of music in the last couple of years. About how often do you record? Um, I guess it's about. I guess it's been every like year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. Um. 
sometimes it's been a little longer in between. Um, but yeah, it tends to be about that much. Um, and one of, there was, you know, one session that ended up moving, um, because I had had an, uh, an injury. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's been crazy rides since I moved to New York and, and started recording in, in 20, I guess, 14, 2013 now, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So four, at least four new records in the last couple of years. Pretty good. Where do you record? What was the process like in that regard? Because this is such a contentious issue among jazz musicians is the, the approach to the recording process itself. So the way that um, Steeplechase does it is it's, you know, Steeplechase is a historic label and they've been recording for, um, well, my record was the 900th record. So oh, wow. it's, it's, uh, it's been many decades of, of recording. And I think they're still pretty true to the original process of, of making things sound and making things as live as possible, being true to the jazz idiom and, and really not um, doing this other thing with, with pop music where everything is so controlled and so meticulously um, planned out. And uh, so all of my records have been kind of usually like a one day, get in it, play it like you're in a club basically and get out. Um, and wow. so like this, this day was like a six hour session um, at trading eights in, in New Jersey. Um, Chris Sully is amazing. He's a great engineer. Uh, and yeah, it was, it's a very no frills process in many ways, but I, I dig it because I, I think that's how jazz really should be, you know? Um, but there have been moments where I've been like, I would love to to do something a little bit more. I, I like some of the the things that technology has brought us for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do I do like that the soul of the the original jazz uh, session vibe. I think it is cool. It's stressful, but it's cool. Sure. So you've got everything is like what's give me an idea just of what the room looks like. Then is everybody isolated? Or are you all in the same room together? Or are you in a different booth? Or what's the communication like? Because that's the tricky thing is with improvised music you have to be enough in the same place that you get the interaction and you get the you know the sort of magic of all playing at once but yet at the same time a lot of people are really into the well let's do another take of that or i'm going to change the vocals or we're going to have a you know some people are just writing jazz records or recording them like rock records now where everything is basically pieced together you know yeah um and i think it's it is interesting because i think about this a lot because i've been doing some completely opposite work um with a pop producer just doing like some pop tunes here and there that I've kind of discovered that I like to write um and production is just a entirely different experience um and yeah with in that room the setup is amazing because it's you know everybody's isolated but you can see everyone really clearly and so you really and you're pretty close together but far enough away that there's no um, bleed or issue. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really nice because you really feel like you're all looking at each other. You can all see each other and you're all in it together. And I do think that's important. And, you know, then I I come with these pop tunes and it's like working with this producer and we're, it's just, well, before the pandemic, it was just the two of us kind of arguing over the sound of, um, 
a bell that was electronic and like, should it be more this type of bell or that type of bell? <laughs> and you sure. know, yeah, and yeah. you're just kind of using random noises, <laughs> machines, and it's, it's still a really cool creative process, but it, there is something so not human about it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Do you have, I, I, I'm going to get you in trouble here. So sorry. Do you have a preference for, for one way or the other? Like, are you, I don't know what you're feeling on it. Well, we, I said I was going to make some trouble here. I, I don't know. So, no, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I do, you know, I think there is an element of jazz musicians liking control and liking things to sound um, a certain way, which is funny because there's so much that can go wrong at any second in any jazz situation. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I think I like kind of a mix. I, I think uh, I think I really do see the value in being able to go into a room and just play down your record mm-hmm. and and being that kind of musician. Um, but I also am embracing more and more the the poss- the endless possibilities that um, studios present now. And mm-hmm. I you know I'm not a, a huge fan of of a lot of these uh, weird robot voices that you can hear, you know, auto tune to to the max. Um, And I really like to have as much humanity as possible in the record, but there's always some uh, advantages for sure that it's like, Oh, that's cool. That we could just fix that. (laughs) Yeah. Just fix that. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) So you went, so you did the whole record in a day. Yeah. I did a few fixes after the fact, um, myself by myself. Um, but it really was the entire thing was down in a day. That's amazing. And with relatively limited rehearsal. Yes. Wow. That's I, awesome. if I had, I would, I would have loved to have more rehearsal, of course, but it was just the timing of everything. And then you, you know, you come to the live stream and we literally did a zoom rehearsal. <laughs> oh, wow. What is that, just running through the stuff? How do you even do that? Yeah, we just, I didn't know what to do, really. I said, we're going to figure it out, you know. We talked through every tune. Um, We, it was a very verbal thing and and not a musical rehearsal, really. I did say, like, be near your instruments just in case we want to, somebody wants to play something as an example. But, um, and it did help immensely to have that kind of dedicated talk through time. Um, and then we walked in and we, we ran everything once through and then we, we did the show. Wow. So it was, it's definitely changed the game, you know, cause we just, we didn't, you know, a lot of us were either with a partner who was at risk or high risk individually. So we just didn't want to take any risks. I definitely did not want any of my dear favorite musicians to, um, somehow get exposed or get sick, uh, because of this gig, you know, I mean, it, it meant so much to me to be able to play, but it is like, it's not worth risking your life for. Sure. So, um, so yeah, we did a zoom rehearsal and, and there's value to that for sure. But it, I did miss the being, being able to really dig in. Oh, sure. I mean, it, under normal, under the most ideal circumstances in New York, trying to put a band together to rehearse is hard enough as it is, but I had the same experience doing the, I did a, uh, live stream with my nonette back in August for a record I released in, released in May 
and trying to get that band. There's no possible way. I couldn't even get a rehearsal space that would let us have, you know, nine people in the space that was big enough to do it, you know. I was trying, but I also didn't want to have the people come in on the subway. Like, I wasn't going to do a separate rehearsal, but this music is complex, and you can imagine a circumstance, you know, in whatever case where you just wing it and it's a drag, you know, because it's not coming through the way that you want it to. But, you know, this is definitely, you know, I always say that that um, limitation breeds creativity, and this has forced us to have to think about new ways of approaching all this stuff, you know. But it know. is, it is, but I think we're still struggling with it. And I think the only way to really, um, get to that point where we ha- are creating new solutions to this issue is to kind of let go of what we had to a certain extent and just kind of embrace this situation um, mm-hmm. and and not, you know, okay, so we can't play. Like, we can't play live shows right now necessarily. So what do we do? What does this look like? How do we get the audience engaged? Um, and I think... There's still a lot of it's hard because there's still a lot of mourning going on and sure. and that's real and and it's okay to give yourself space for that but I think once we're able to kind of get past that phase will that will be the time when we're like really creative and really able to make this work. Mhm. Sure. Now, tell me a little bit more about the um the produced the, the more what, what what do you want to say? I'm I'm, I'm always worried about my uh my particular lexicon here, because musicians tend to be very particular about genres and various things like that, or whether we should even use genres as a concept. But um, the more pop-oriented stuff or the produced stuff is that is that what was the um, your your uh, foray into the John Lennon songwriting competition? So I'm putting on this sweatshirt here because this has my this is from my EP that I did the 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 produced or whatever oh, nice. you want to call it. Got a little bird on it, and then it says, uh, "Let's see it." it says, love, "Love is a bird." bird. Nice. Kind of cool. Can we buy this? Can we buy? Can we yes, push you, this you merch can. on the yes on the show? Um, if I finally figure out how to get it up on my website, um, intent to my husband. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, the, produ- the production stuff is crazy, and it's so different from anything I've done. I mean, I've always been writing really silly, simple, random stuff over the years, but it wasn't stuff that I felt like I could show the light of day to anyone who at NEC. Um, okay. Why are you going to get in trouble? It's just like jazz nerds. Yeah. It was just like so anti jazz nerd on every level. Um, but I've kind of embraced the fact that, um, that I like writing these really simple, uh, kind of poppy tunes as well as more complex jazz things. And it's just like totally fun to have two sides that are completely different. And I mean, definitely one informs the other. I don't, I don't think the tunes are like completely simple because of my jazz education. Um, but yeah, I, I started writing some pop stuff probably in high school and I like love is a bird was like a, a chorus that I was, you know, playing on the piano really um playing is not the right word it was like banging on the piano <laughs> when i was like 17 um and that record that whole ep was um it was kind of like a, a feminist rant project which i guess you could say lose my number was as well but um anyway this yeah it was just kind of a fun thing um and then i really what happened i started is that i um i started writing music for my friend's short film 
and uh, called The Astronaut Hour by Leslie Gautier. And um, I wrote that music to that film. And one of the one of the songs won Best Original Song and um, for the International Independent Film Awards. Oh, wow. And then I was like, huh, maybe I should keep trying this. And then I, I was connected through Michael Perez's Narrows, who's um, the engineer at Big Orange Sheep, who I've worked with for years um, doing personal stuff um, with this producer named Judd Silver. And we started kind of talking about what we could do. And I sent him a few songs and he, you know, like I said, he picked out the the bells and whistles, <laughs> literally, quite literally. Um, it was a really fun process. And I just really, I just never wanted to leave the studio. I just kind mm. of felt like, oh, wow, this is, this doesn't feel like work at all. This is just a fun thing to do. And then during the pandemic, um, I was quarantined for a while with my, uh, 18 month old niece, um, Diana. And we, I was kind of playing ukulele and I was singing silly songs to her. And I wrote this child song about washing your hands. It's like a very silly, simple thing. Um, but it was, you know, it was really an attempt to try to get, kids and even adults to respect the idea of washing your hands and and all the preventative things and get something stuck in your head so you're reminded mm -hmm. um and sure. it ended up yeah it ended up i submitted it to this competition as on a whim and and it ended up winning um one of the one of the weeks that they did it um and we'll see what happens moving forward but i am considering doing a, a kids album as well okay. um, cool. I, I don't have anything quite concrete yet for it but i think uh there's always versatility there's always fun to be had and it's really exciting to kind of explore all sorts of genres mm, sure now what's the process in writing the pop music then if you're i don't i don't know if i want to that seems so I wish I had a better name for it. I never know what, because sometimes it, once you get into the electronic music world or the or even electronic versus electric music, uh, I never know how important genres are. But the, let's say the more, is that fair? The more popish music. Are you then writing the song, the chords and the songs and what have you? And then the producer then is, uh, remind me his name again? Uh, okay. Is, is then putting together the arrangements or is it a super collaborative thing or how, how does that all, how do you think about that? Um. I basically write the, the the melody, the lyrics, the um, the changes, and I kind of have a pretty clear idea of an arrangement. Um, and I send him a pretty crappy recording of me doing all of that, <laughs> usually in, with my iPhone. And and then we have a we have he'll kind of send me a skeleton back of what he's thinking and hearing, and we discuss what textures and instrumentation and sounds that were kind of hearing like the last thing that i just wrote that i just sent to him i was like okay this needs to have this bird sound and please put this bird sound in um and it's like not something you would ever do uh on a jazz record well i mean <laughs> some people have done that but not well, on a live jazz record sure and um although there was a time when i was like could we just have sounds of rain somehow and like not use a rain stick and, I was, and that's when i knew that i would like this kind of thing mm -hmm. um but yeah, and then he kind of, he literally puts the icing on top and um, no, he does a ton of work for it. Um, but a lot of it is already 
kind of complete when I send it to him. Mm-hmm. And then and then new magic comes out of it. But it, when we before the pandemic and we were able to sit in the room and really debate over specific textures and specific like he he does this cool thing where he'll create a sound that's like not quite a saxophone it's not quite a trumpet it's not quite um a tuba it's like all of them together with a weird vibration over it and just being able to say like can you make that sound a little less saxophony is so cool to be able to do that um and really get to the nitty-gritty of it and I miss that because now it's just kind of like sending memo, voice memos back and forth. And I'm definitely not as um, specific because it's just impossible to to get it done this way. Sure. Yeah. And there's something about even if you're doing more electric music, it's there's nothing like being in a room and being able to work something out with somebody in real life. I mean, that's another thing that I think we'll come to really appreciate at the end of you know all this stuff. For sure. Uh, now you're... The the albums on Steeplechase are you um attend are really in the let's say in the uh in this let's say the American songwriting jazz tradition. But you're writing your own stuff and it's all it sounds to me fresh even though it comes from that world of being a like you're in the jazz realm. But then this stuff is on another plane. Do you think about do you ever let me ask you this, do you ever worry about um the like uh, the discrepancy between like if people are going to listen to one thing and expect you to do everything all at once, or is that not even a problem to you at all? Um, it's so funny that you asked that because I, <laughs> when I first thought about putting out this EP, um, I was like, I can't put it under my name. I've got to have a pseudonym. <laughs> it couldn't possibly be under Allegro Levy. Like jazz listeners are going to go to, to iTunes and they're just going to get confused. Um, and then I, I realized that who cares? Sure. <laughs> I was just like, who cares? Um, if anybody listens to this, I'll be happy. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and if they, you know, if they don't like this, then they'll, they'll find something else. Um, I definitely think it, it's, uh, it's weird to, to mix so much, but I think the truth is, is that I, have never been, when I went to NEC, I really put myself in kind of a box of like what I was going to be. Like, I am a jazz singer and this is what a jazz singer does. And this is what a jazz singer is. But um, it's just not the case. I think everybody, I think being versatile is the only way to survive. And it's also, it's just not realistic, uh, at least not for me to, to only do this one thing um, forever and ever. And, um, I'm starting to come to terms with that. I mean, it's definitely a struggle. It's like, oh, I have this kid's song now too. Like, what does that mean? But, um, oh gosh, I'm, I'm blanking on which singer this is. Ah, I was going to say, there's this one singer who has like the most versatility of all time in terms of what she's done in her career. And I, I can't think of what her name is. Mm, it may come back later. It may come back later. But, but in some respects, that's even maybe, I haven't really thought about this, you know, in this in this particular setting, but, um, it's kind of a, it's a jazz tradition a little bit to be able to change with the times and to be able to come up with new things. I mean, we don't, I don't think of Herbie Hancock and being like, well, there's Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock. I mean, you think about the styles are different, but then, oh, then there's chameleon and then there's like, whatever, like modern day, whatever, but it's the same, uh, lineage or whatever, just as a person, it's all his own. 
Oh, voice. for sure. I mean, no, I mean, I think even within jazz itself, it's, I, I would even say within my first record to this last one that I just put out, Lose My Number, um, it, there's a huge difference uh, in terms of what is happening. Just, I mean, it's, it's definitely um, more improvised and, and more kind of uh, a little bit less accessible <laughs> in many ways um, uh-huh. to the average listener. I, I think historically musicians have always changed with the time. It's, it's part of what we're all good at. Um, but there has been this debate uh, often about like how you brand yourself. I think like branding mm-hmm. becomes such a weird thing these days. I think it's partially because of the social media um, thing where it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, is that on brand? And it's definitely something that get into, it gets into your head. But I mean, that is a really good reminder that, that there is that basically all of the the great jazz artists did change with the times Mm. for sure. We also find ourselves in a particularly challenging moment in that back in 1965, there was somebody at the record label whose job it was to brand you and you would show up and play the songs and they would say, you know, there's a little, there's a lot less freedom to that if you if you wanted to go in a different direction or whatever. But so much now of the business side of it is on us, you know, even to raise the money sometimes for records or it depends on how you do it. Um, certainly to to market your own thing, it's all on our shoulders. So all of a sudden, all this stuff that we, I think, I can't speak for everybody, so maybe this is, you know, you can speak to it, but. I think most people would just rather play the music and write songs and be creative and let other people do the business thing. But here we are in this world where it's it's on us now. Like we we have to think about that to some degree. Yeah, we're the producer, the manager, the marketing person. The you know often sometimes even the publicist um, to some degree, um, and we are doing a lot of the job of the label uh, for sure. But. Um, I think in, in many ways, you're right. It, it is incredibly difficult. And there've been so many moments where I'm like, man, can I just focus, focus on the lyrics of this tune and, and not worry about all the business. Um, but in other ways, we, we really freeze us up to do what we really want mm-hmm. and, um, to be kind of brandless in a way. Sure. And there's also a part of it too, that, yeah, back in the day, if the, if the label didn't like the the record you were doing or what you were going to put out or whatever, or even if, you know, you can imagine these people who are at the top of these companies saying like, well, this will never sell. No one's going to, you know what I mean? Blah, blah, blah. But now if you like it, you can put it out on the internet and, and people might like it. You know, there, there are probably a ton of bands now that just never would have made it back in the day because it's avant-garde or it's something else that are now kind of mainstream well-known or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can always put it out and it might still never sell. <laughs> Sure, and <laughs> often will not, and that's fine. <laughs> no, but it. No, you're right. It, it's. Uh, I'm just kidding, but uh, I mean, am I? I don't know. Um, but it, it's. Uh, the internet is definitely a wild, wild place. <laughs> sure. Now, do you have a? So, I guess you've been working on this last record for a little while, or at least you had a deadline. You got through it. Now, do you have a a regular work? Um, let's say schedule, or how do you think about creating new stuff? Oh, geez. <laughs> That's a tough one. Um, I think I would definitely be more productive if I had a concrete schedule on how to create. Oh, stuff. man. I know that. Um, yeah. You know, I, I do a lot of other work other than music, um, too. Uh, I, I am lucky that I've 
I've been working, um, doing some arts administration for this great nonprofit called International Society for the Performing Arts. And then I've also been working at the Women in Jazz organization as part of their leadership team. And I've also been volunteering at um, for this organization called ECPAT USA uh, and Child Pornography and Traffic. And I've been working with them to do to um, to create a song contest, um, actually, oh, wow. which is kind of a, they, it just launched uh, recently. And, and it's a it's a national song contest to try to get their new anthem out to spread awareness about their cause. So I do a lot of things on top of music. And so when I do sit down to kind of play ukulele and spend time to write, um, it's like very uh, cherished time. It's very sacred time. Okay. But um, I will say that it, it doesn't always, it's not always, it hasn't, I haven't been that um, productive lately. I think it's been really hard in a musical sense. Uh, um it's been weird for me. I, I definitely have not been as productive as I would hope when it comes to writing. I, you know, I used to have a method where I would just sit down, try to get something written as much as possible um, any day, just try to get it, try to get at least something down, some idea um, to mm. keep the creative juices flowing. But these days, I, I don't want to be depressing, but it's just like these days, uh, sure. it's like I keep staring at my ukulele and I'm like, I don't know, man, I don't yeah, know yeah, what yeah. to do with this. Um, but I know, I, I think it does make that the time when I am, when I do play that I am writing and I'm, and I did just finish a new tune. I actually did write kind of an anthem um, for Ekpat, um, kind of in honor of Ekpat because I, I've created the song contest, so I'm not entering it, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I've, I've just been working on, probably more pop related stuff right now mm-hmm. um i don't know if that really answered your question yeah but anyway. sure yeah everybody's got one of the i think the most fascinating things about talking to people in this kind of a format is and you'd expect it but everybody has such a different musical voice and similarly everybody's approach is so different and that's what makes it interesting that's what makes each individual person who they are their process is their own process so some people have like you know you might have who knows i mean it's just what it, what it is that that propels you to make the music. And I think there's a lot to be said too and I think a lot of uh, musicians who are coming up, a lot of people who are in music school maybe forget about this, but um to having those external uh acti- not activities makes it sound like you're in middle school. <laughs> but like but you're to be to be able to work in all these fields and have this sort of wide breadth of different um you know, things that you're working on that you're passionate about, I think lends a lot to the music because it gives you a new perspective rather than just like, well, I did all my theory stuff and this is what came out, you know? Oh, for sure. I mean, sitting in a practice room is great, but, um, and I definitely miss those times where I'm like alone in a practice room on with the kind of crusty feelings of those practice rooms that you see before they were redone and um, the smell of the carpets being never cleaned and stuff. Now it's like so beautiful. I'm like, oh, I wish we could have gone there now. Um, but yeah, I think that was definitely one of my most prolific times in many ways. But but um, now what I'm coming up with definitely has more of a worldview for sure. And it's not just this kind of internal struggle of like what I'm thinking about in my little head. You know, it's it's really I'm I am constantly thinking about everything the world um and 
yeah, I mean, sometimes it does, inspiration does strike me when I'm walking uh, home from one of these long ass days and I'm on the street and I'm like, thank God I have voice memos because I'm just like going to be singing, you know, with my mask into my phone and just like quietly in a corner. Yeah, right. I just came up with this idea. I have to write it down right now. But, um, and then I get home and I get to scribble it down. But um, I don't know, whatever ends up seeing the light of day is another Mm. question. Sure, but unless you got it, in, you got it someplace. It's, New York's a perfect place for that too. New York is the place that you can live, and you can you can be walking down the street and have somebody duck into an alley and start singing into a field recorder or whatever it is. Everybody knows exactly what's going on. And you're like, oh no, you look completely insane, but maybe you're not really actually one of yeah. the crazy people. Right, exactly. No, you're here for a reason. Yeah. Now, real quick, so go back. Um, those three organizations that you mentioned, so people can learn more about them if they want to. Oh, sure. Um, so, I mean, one of the, the big ones that I think jazz listeners would be into is, is Wejo, um, Women in Jazz Organization. And um, we've just launched our mentorship program where our main goal was really to work towards equity and inclusion and, and, have, and help um, young women, you know, specifically young women of color who are going through this time during COVID and in programs that may not give them uh, the resources that they need and the support that they need to really show that they can do this. Um, So that's part of what Weijo's main um, goals are right now. And it's been great to serve with Tahir Clayton and uh, Roxy Koss um, with that. And, uh, then um, my more of like my day gig, but it's become you know definitely a passion of mine is is the International Society for the Performing Arts, and um, it's cool because it's this huge global network of all these performing arts professionals, and it really gives me this different view of what what really goes into you know the manager the the representative what really goes into creating our world of arts that we have and and how do we sustain it and there have been a lot of um, fascinating conversations that I've gotten to hear from all around the world mostly over zoom Um, but that's a cool spot and then the last one is ECPAT USA E-C-P-A-T USA and that is to stop human trafficking um, specifically um, New York and nationally focused specifically towards um, children so Mm -hmm. um yeah, that song contest is going to be cool. We'll see what people come up with. Sure, that's amazing. When's it, is, has it been uh, announced? Yeah, it's been announced um, from now until January 29th. You can submit your your songs and your ideas, and um, and then there's going to be a cool panel of judges that will kind of take a listen, and also the judges will also be you know some survivors, some board members. It's going to be really interesting project i'm i'm grateful to have been involved hmm, amazing all right well we're in this limbo land for the next little while here but so we don't know but do you have any sense for what the next is the next project more about the uh more wh- what's your next uh what's your next objective what's your next goal do you have anything in mind or are you just floating through to see what happens next to see what strikes you um i think i am kind of interested in doing this this kids vibe record um because hmm. <laughs> like that wash your hands song was super fun but i also think there is such an interesting market there um and you know my niece definitely inspired me to 
uh, to, to watch her discovering music was just so inspiring. So I have, and I have been, I love the, the ukulele. I know it's so cliche. I'm a jazz singer loves the ukulele, but you know, it really is an easy instrument to pick up and I'm alone here. You know, my husband, my husband is amazing. He's a tech nerd. He cooks like amazing things, but he is not a musician. So I've got myself and my ukulele. And, Mm -hmm. um, so that definitely is something that could be happy and and fun, which would be a great thing to do right now, I think. Mm, Sure. Um, but yeah, in terms of jazz, uh, related projects, I'm definitely keeping my mind open. I think I'm still very much I really did enjoy working with lyrics um, and I really wanted to use this opportunity to present myself as, as a lyricist. Um, And so I do hope that other um, I'm open to working with other, other uh, musicians um, on lyric projects and, Hmm. and I hope that uh, that continues. And I'm also, yeah, I'm, I'm, we'll see what happens. (laughs) Sure. Right on. Well, congrats on the new record. Sounds great. It's amazing. If people want to find it or people want to follow you or keep up with you, where do they go? Thank you. Um, the The record is out everywhere, so it's it's definitely it's on all these amazing uh, music platforms that we love to hate on. But um, it's available <laughs> on on iTunes and Spotify and Amazon and Google Play and Hey Siri, play Allegra Levy. Um, I don't know. It, nice. It's available all those places. But I also have hard copies. If anyone has a CD player in their houses um anymore um and they can uh contact me through my website which is just allegralevy.com and um i'm also on all of the social media although i am considering getting off it but another question for you would be how do we survive as musicians and promote ourselves without social media um yeah (laughs) so it's it's that's definitely something i'm pondering right now um but yes please if you if you want to listen please listen and um and drop me a line great all right well legra thanks a lot for doing this This thanks for having me bobby it's such a such a blast to see you i would love to see you in person sometime you too love to do a real hang sometime that'd be great that'd be great all right, gang. Well, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Uh, thanks again for joining me for another mind-expanding episode of Jazztopia. And big thanks to Allegra for coming on the show and talking about her latest record. Uh, you can find that on all the platforms. Uh, you can also follow Allegra uh, at her website at AllegraLevy.com or on the various social media uh, systems that are out there. You'll find her. Uh, All right, gang. Well, you may have heard we've got a national election coming up, and uh, I think that's going to take up a lot of our mental bandwidth. So we're going to take a little break here from the show. We're going to take a couple weeks to get ourselves organized and to to, uh, conjure up a new batch of excellent discussions with some of the great minds in jazz and improvised music. So stay tuned. You can follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Jazztopia podcast, as well as on all of the regular platforms, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, let's see, Stitcher, if you got that, uh, all the good ones, we're on all the good ones, so check it out, we also have a Patreon page, you can find it at patreon.com slash jazztopiapodcast, and uh, 
we've also we're working on a YouTube page and some Instagram stuff, so we'll be able to get some clips up there for you. So keep an eye out and follow the show. Send it over to your friends. Uh, and I hope you're having a great time and enjoying it. All right, everybody, have a wonderful time, and we'll see you soon. See you.